Hello and welcome to the Armenian News Network Grung Week in Review. I'm Asbet Bedrosian, and along with Hovik Manucharyan, this week we're going to talk about the following major topics. Major incident on the line of contact this past week, Turkish-Armenian meeting in Moscow. And to talk about these issues, we have with us Edgar Elbakan. Edgar is a political scientist based in Armenia. He shares his time between Yerevan and Stepanakert and specializes in the politics of Artsakh. Hello, Edgar, and welcome back to our show. Hello, hello, Aspet. Hello, Hovikjan. Hello, Edgarjan. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. It's my pleasure to share anything I regard as important for your audience to, to be informed and uh, get acquainted with. Awesome, awesome. We appreciate it. So the majority of the news last week was dominated by the skirmish or the new conflagration that happened on the line of contact on January 12th, this time in Verin Shoja near in Girarkunik. And it is believed to be one of the most violent incidents uh, since the end of the 2020-20 war. Maybe even you know, we can consider November 16th and so forth, but it's definitely on the top of the list. Uh, media reported the use of both artillery and unmanned aerial vehicles by the Azerbaijani side. Armenia reported three deaths, while Azerbaijan claimed one death. Edgar, uh, your impressions on this incident? Okay, the first uh, impression, and not only impression, but conclusion, is that this so-called peace era agenda that has been promoted by the uh, ruling circles, ruling elite of Armenia, is fake. Uh, is not viable. It has been put forward by them uh, during the election campaign uh, last year, last summer. It is very easy to understand why, because it was very easy to mobilize the voters to get their votes, propagating and advocating for peace after the devastating war Armenia had uh, the previous year. But the main conclusion, not only from this case you mentioned, but from all the skirmishes and not only the skirmishes, but the, the, the theory speaks <laughs> speaks about it, uh, as we uh, name it in our scholarly community, that uh, you cannot impose, you cannot create a peace only by, you know, only by your desire. You cannot create a peace even by mutual desire, you know, uh, and uh, not speaking uh, about just unilateral desire. This is the first conclusion that in our region, peace can be achieved, acquired only through the balance of power, through the ratio of power. Because in our part of the world, let's say, only the power uh, can dictate. It's the only viable solution to, to any problem. The second, and uh, I think that underestimated, not elucidated in media, is that we had uh, different skirmishes in different parts of uh, the line of contact, the actual uh, de facto border. The geography here really matters. Why? Because uh, this Verin Shorja village is uh, what we call uh, in Armenian uh, so seasonal village. It is um, it is occupied by dwellers only in summer uh, due to their specific uh, seasonal agricultural and economic activity. 
And during this time of year, it's uh, almost uninhabited. So I think that this is not coincidence and uh, maybe Azerbaijan is trying to again to get use uh, of this situation and occupy the whole village since we have a precedence and uh, since we have a case in the past that armenia has let's say officially refrained from uh, waging war for its territory because it was not inhabited and uh, we have an why i call it officially because we have an official statement by the Uh, de facto prime minister of Armenia that we are not going to war for for a small piece of lake uh, save lake uh, save lich uh, since we have it, it it is a signal also for Azerbaijan that maybe if they occupy this village during winter time when there is no shepherds no villagers maybe they can get it without any military consequences Right. On that note, there were some reports, at least through the social media that we heard and we saw uh, that there was uh, resistance and fighting on the Armenian side. In fact, maybe this is an exaggeration, but we also heard actually the number of Azeri or Azerbaijanis that was much higher than one that they claimed. Do you have any uh, reliable information on that part and whether this time unlike others there was resistance shown by the armenians i guess that there has been some resistance uh, because the fighting stopped it couldn't stop only by the say goodwill of azerbaijan if nobody stops them they they move forward coming to this uh, azerbaijani casualties uh, issue no unfortunately i don't have any reliable sources everything has become very very unreliable what concerns to our army starting from last war so i cannot bring any new investment to this topic on on this azerbaijani casualties matter okay. and also i wanted to see if what you think about the timing of the incident coming one week after the events in Kazakhstan do you think at a global or regional geopolitical level those events had uh, anything to do with enticing Aliyev uh, the Aliyev regime to go for a provocation here i will divide the answer thereof into two parts the first let's say operational part is saying yes i think that the timing is not coincidence Uh, yes it it is intertwined with the armenian uh, engagement in kazakhstan and it also may be provoked and induced by the turkish side itself let's say as a kind of political and military punishment it's the operational in brackets of course part of the answer to your question but the second part which i'll call uh, again allegorically strategic part is that uh, no azerbaijan doesn't need any further simulation motivation nothing to attack armenia you know it is ready to do that whenever there is some chance or where, whenever there is some need in that so uh, it is my template answer to this question and i i was giving the same answer even before the april war uh, and after the april war before the last war whenever journalists or the newsmakers 
was asking this question whether this last incident on the line of contact in Karabakh or Tavush or Nahijavan is connected with something bigger, regional or geopolitical. I was telling both yes and no, because it is very important even from the perspective of planning, from the perspective of understanding our conf conflict, that it is not a byproduct of some outside clashes. For example, you know, there is a very uh, liberal and uh, the same time very false narrative uh, holding sway in our Armenia that the Armenian and Turkic enmity, that is enmity with Turkey and also Azerbaijan, is a result or byproduct of Russian advancement uh, in this uh, region. We were uh, living in harmony and in peace with them. So Russia came, tried to take over this land. and That's the hundred-year-old narrative. Yeah, yeah. It is very common, unfortunately, now because the ruling elite is also making use of that. But this is an imperial narrative. And uh, right. this uh, narrative distorts the very essence of this enmity. And the essence is that there was an ancient Armenian land and only Armenians were inhabiting these lands and Turkic-speaking tribes came. They took over these lands. They organized their statehood, unfortunately, on these lands. And at some point of time in the history, we tried to get it back. We tried to gain our uh, independence, sovereignty, etc. So this is the true essence of the conflict. And that's why whenever I get these kind of questions, I answer uh, dually. <laughs> Yeah, Edgar, we're, we're always looking for the reasons why the timing is what it is. At the same time as all this was happening last week, uh, Aliyev has ratcheted up his belligerent rhetoric, right? On Wednesday, yes. after the incident, Aliyev claimed that the so-called revanchism exists not only in the Armenian opposition, but also in the current government. He made the claim that parts of Armenia, including what we currently call Zankezur, and Yerevan itself were annexed from Azerbaijan in the early 20th century and essentially threatened war if Armenia doesn't accept his offer of peace, which in reality seems to be more of the same capitulation. During the same press conference, Aliyev threatened to suppress the activity of the OSCE Minsk group, about one week after the co-chairs had issued a proclamation emphasizing that uh, the use of force is unacceptable and there had to be peaceful resolutions to the issues. Uh, we haven't seen Aliyev this rabid for a long time. What does he want? What is not working in the current negotiations that is pushing him towards this extreme? Again, uh, two-fold, it's two-layer answer. The first is that Maybe the answer is so-called Turkic corridor or Zangezursuni corridor, however we call it. I think that the Armenian ruling elite is trying to get such conditions on this issue that can be, say, sold in Armenia in a face-saving manner. So I think that they try to accommodate and adjust the situation in a way that they can afterwards 
say that, see guys, it's not a corridor, it's just an opening of communications, it's just a road. But what actually Turkey and Azerbaijan, what they really want is corridor. Uh, that means something extraterritorial and out of Armenian sovereignty. Mm, right. I think that this is the last point that the Armenian elite for this or that reason is unwilling to sit, to give away. But the second layer of my answer, again, is on strategic level, on philosophical level, on long-term perspective, that what we see actually is the fulfillment of Montemel Konya's prophecy that if we lose Artsakh, then we are going to lose everything. It's, it will be the last page of the Armenian history because the next step will be Sangezor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we see the problem. We're seeing that. Yeah, again, it's also the misunderstanding, misrepresentation uh, being very common among the previous elites too, uh, namely all of them, starting from the first president. They comprehended this conflict and later negotiated it with uh, their inner circle, with the larger audience, with the a larger population as being a conflict for the sake of self-determination of the Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians. You know, yeah, there, there are right. some Armenians residing somewhere and they try to self-determine. Uh, and we as Armenia must say, support them. No, it's not the essence of the conflict. The essence is what I told in the previous answer, as we call it in Armenian, Hayi Turki Karif. That's one of the fundamental reasons, fundamental philosophical reasons we lost this war, we lost this conflict, because we comprehended the conflict as something technical and hence having a technical solution. We give some rayons, some regions back, we get something, they give something back, they get something, etc. Instead, Azerbaijan, I'm sure not without the help, without the consulting of Turkey, comprehended it in a right way. So, Hayi, Turkey, Karif, the clash between Armenians and Turks, mm -hmm. either we or them. That's why they are now putting forward claims towards uh, Sunik and all the things. And mentioning Yerevan. Yeah, yeah. Last Friday, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov said that Armenia had new offers on border delimitation and that it would transfer to Azerbaijan on behalf of Armenia. First question is, why are all these offers going through Russia? But also, I wanted to know, Edgar, is it possible that Aliyev has gotten this offer and does not like it, and that's why these provocations are happening? Yeah, uh, it, is, it sounds very reasonable. Uh, it also deals with the timing issue, so uh, to put it uh, short. Uh, and the first half of your question, why through Russia? Mm -hmm. Because Russia is mediator in this conflict, why I call it informal. Uh, in your previous question, you mentioned OSC Minsk Group. It, it was a deal with the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. It is the OSC wording, Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. But at some points during the history, it also dealt with the fightings, uh, skirmishes on the Armenian-Azerbaijani border too, because formally, technically, it didn't have any mandate to do that. But actually, everybody 
maybe everybody besides Armenians <laughs> comprehends that this is an Armenian, this is a large Armenian Azerbaijani conflict. Yeah. That's why they uh, previously, before the April War, after the April War, they made statements. Um, even about the skirmishes on Nahijevani part. Yeah. But during the last war, uh, right after it, Russia has become a unilateral informal mediator due to its role it has in this region. And it is acknowledged, not willingly, very unwillingly, but it is acknowledged by the Western part of the world, let's say, or namely by, in this case, France and uh, United States of America. So that's why. And for Russia, it's not just a humanitarian cause. For Russia, it has raison d'etat, as we call it uh, mm -hmm. through French, yeah, in, in, in English too. It has raison d'etat to... Uh, preserve its uh, its power, its presence, its authority in this region. And uh, one of the ways to do that, for example, they also have a military presence way to do that, namely in Armenia, including uh, the remaining part of Karabakh. But the second uh, one of the other ways, let's say, is uh, mediating uh, uh, this conflict. Yeah. That's it. And I guess on the, the last question on this specific Armenian-Azerbaijani topic, actually, this is more Azerbaijani. Aliyev, I think, for the first time in seven years, visited Ukraine. And why this is interesting is because of the recent heat in the international arena uh, between Russia and Ukraine. The focus you know, of the visit, from what we read, was mostly uh, economic and specifically agricultural. Aliyev signed multiple agreements, I guess, to use Ukrainian land to bolster production of crops and help with uh, Azerbaijani consumption. Uh, uh, we know that Azerbaijan is very reliant on wheat imports. The visit also seems to have had a military component in the sense that both sides vowed to reinvigorate collaboration in Guam. Yeah. The military alliance that includes uh, Ukraine, Azerbaijan, Georgia, and Moldova. So... Previously, Uzbekistan. Yep. So within the context of the Russian and Ukrainian tension, what do you think about these statements uh, about warming up Guam? How do you think Russia will receive it? And in general, any other impressions about Aliyev's visit to Ukraine or something that he said that we missed that's interesting? I think there is something we are missing, but not in Ukraine, but uh, in Azerbaijan. Before this Ukrainian visit, Aliyev paid, uh, Azerbaijanis restricted the broadcast, public free broadcast of uh, one of the leading Turkish telecompanies. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm bringing up this case because in parallel and together with what you mentioned, uh, it puts uh, in a perspective the Azerbaijani foreign policy starting even before the war, but more concretely uh, right after the war it is trying to balance between Russia and between Turkey. To put it in a very simple language, like in a vernacular way, it has debts both to Russia and to Turkey. Azerbaijan owes to both of them. And vice versa. Currently, Russia and Turkey uh, are vying, are conflicting and competing for the territory of Azerbaijan. Again, I want to put in a historical perspective and um, bring our attention to the very fact that since uh, 1828, <laughs> when the Russian Empire 
conquered all these territories, uh, already semi-autonomous, but formally under the Persian rule. It has never fought and vied and uh, competed for, for the Azerbaijani territory since that year. So it is a change, a, a very tremendous change in, uh, in regional dynamic, in the balance of power uh, ratio. Why it is actual for us, not, not just for infotainment or just for knowing that, but we must understand that everything is changing very gradually. Russia is um, Armenia's strategic ally, both namely on the paper and also uh, just rationally. It is one of the only countries, if not the only country, for whom it can make some difference whether Armenia exists or not. For example, for USA, for Great Britain, for France, it will make no difference. Maybe for some of them, it would even be better because if Armenia doesn't exist, so Russia doesn't have any presence in this region with all the ensuing possibilities <laughs> and positive sides. But Russia and also Iran, Islamic Republic of Iran, are countries for whom theoretically it can make difference. So they can theoretically be interested in having Armenia as an entity uh, in this region. But we should take into consideration that for Russia also, too, it is very hard to keep balance with, uh, with Turkey. If we compare the military balance between Soviet Russia, not Soviet Union, mm -hmm. namely Soviet Russia and Turkey, and then if we compare the military balance between modern Russia and Turkey, it has changed drastically in favor of Turkey. Of course, still Russia has advantage. It has uh, reduced very drastically compared to Soviet times. So it has very, very huge consequences for us too, because uh, again, in a very popular language, if your friend is um, has become weaker than it uh, used to be previously, so us. yes, you should accumulate your strength in a more bright way, let's say. Yeah. Edgar, I want to emphasize a point you were making a moment ago. I've also always said that as well-intentioned as France or other countries in the West may be, they cannot help, they cannot get soldiers, for example, into Armenia to help us, except maybe through Turkey. And of course, if Turkey is acting as a gateway and it is the enemy, then it is very clear as to what the situation is. I agree. But again, let me put it in a historical perspective. And uh, after the establishment of the Ottoman Empire, there uh, has been no Western soldiers in the Armenian highlands. Right. Except for a very short term of the First Republic. But again, uh, there wasn't any British or uh, American soldier. We had some uh, British consultants, uh, including military consultants, but not soldier. So, again, in a, in a popular language way, Turkey, uh, Ottoman Empire and later Turkey has closed the, the roads. Mm -hmm. So the only countries, the only powers uh, except us, that can militarily engage in this region are the following. Turkey, uh, Iran, and Russia. That's right. Okay.
Edgar, and as we close, I would like to ask you to comment on, just in a very general sense, the Turkish-Armenian meeting that took place in Moscow. Kalic and Rubinian met on the 14th. The meeting lasted 90 minutes. Both sides issued nearly identical statements, saying that uh, it was conducted in a positive atmosphere and that they intend to move into a more comprehensive state. What was your impression of the meeting and maybe also all the media dialogue that led up to it and even followed? Yes, there are no official or informal statements besides what you mentioned, but uh, due to our theoretical knowledge, uh, we can state that at least at this point, the sides have not any disagreement because it is very common in politics. If they share the identical texts, statements uh, right after the meeting, so it is prearranged and it means that there isn't any disagreement. Uh, the second part, what can we get through these negotiations uh, or how can they move forward? I think that we cannot get anything because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think during my first answer, uh, in this region, what uh, really matters is the power. Armenia is going to negotiations after the capitulation. So Turkey is going to apply two tactics. The first is making out of itself a very amicable, uh, soft and cordial neighbor. It is a very well-known tactic also from the revolutionary history in, in the Western Armenia. Uh, whenever Ottoman rulers was um, moderate, uh, they didn't oppress Armenians very much. It was done in order to weaken the Armenian uh, revolutionary and Fedai movement and later to crush Armenians more easily. As for historians, for scholars, it is a very well-known tactics. But in case it doesn't work, for some reason, uh, let's say for the corridor issue again. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Um, yeah. They are going to apply the second, again, very well-known tactics, what I call the Alexandra Pol phenomenon. When they were uh, conducting negotiations in 1920 in Alexandra Pol, when Armenian delegation was trying to disagree with uh, the capitulation provisions, Turkish negotiators were pointing outside the window and telling Khatisyan, look, and outside the window, there was a scene with uh, Armenians being hanged right in the street. And this is the second tactics. And uh, Armenia doesn't have any power to resist it. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a tremendous difference between uh, football diplomacy or what we have today. Because when Armenia waged football diplomacy, Armenian troops were located uh, situated in Ardam, etc. Nowadays, it is even hard to tell whether Armenia has a capable military at all, and then to try to understand uh, where it is located and where not. So <laughs> that's the case. Yeah. All right. Then this is, uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Edgar, for joining us. And we hope to have you back soon. Thank you, Edgar. Hope to talk to you soon again. Thank you, too. 
Okay, that was our Week in Review show, and we hope it helped you catch up with some of the issues in and around Armenia from this past week. As always, we invite your feedback and your suggestions. You can find us on most social media and podcast platforms or our website, groom.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel on YouTube, like our pages, and follow us on social media. On behalf of everyone in this episode, we wish you a good week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.